When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Socially distant sports spar for a twelfth time. Ellis, Mike, all good chaps? Yes. Yeah, I mean, I've had an up and down day to be honest, Steph, but I'll, I'll boil the details later on. I'm feeling very positive myself. Good. Good. After last week's 9 minutes 17 debacle, I've since mm. done another three time trials. Oh, go I'm on. Now, I'm now down to 7 minutes 40 seconds. I'm back. Well, that's much more respectable. Yeah, yeah I'm back. I think we should share. We should share with the listeners as well. After, after we, I mean, not me, but Steph had a go with you last week for the time. Yeah. Uh, Steph, your mile time in the week you, that you I shared with us. I posted a ten-minute mile, and I shared this with you, and then Ellis got very deep in his reply to our little WhatsApp yeah. group, and I didn't want to then hit the punchline, which was it was actually the twentieth mile of my run. Yeah. Which was the entire oh, gag I was, was building it? up oh, to. Oh, I got it. Oh, I see. But I felt rubbish then because Alice had gone, yeah, I don't know, my bones are still aching. And I, I just felt bad. So oh. I backed off no. from the punchline. You soppy yeah. twat. You should have <laughs> twisted the knife. This is, this is what I need. <laughs> Tough I need a, I need a Michael Jordan in my life who's not going to let me go. Not going to let these <laughs> things lie. My current rate of uh, improvement, by the end of July, I should be Roger Bannister in it. <laughs> Well, now, Roger Bannister now, though. Yeah, if I, could continue, <laughs> yeah. If I can continue to knock off but, uh, a minute Ro- and a half of my time yeah. every week. Just like Fast and Roger Bannister's corpse. <laughs> <laughs> well done, mate. It's the Tartan yeah. Flash's wife timing you. Yeah. <laughs> She'll be down to 14 seconds in no time. I've just, I've, I've, decide, I've decided that I want to become one of the truly great 39-year-old father of two mile runners. <laughs> So I've I've always always wanted to do it in six minutes thirty, and I've never managed that. So once I get down to seven, which is my base level, then I'll start training for it. Where do you do it? Where you go proper flat out? Where what's the is there, is there like a clear space? Yeah. <laughs> in the past, <laughs> yeah, and, and no section. There's a park near my house. that's exactly right. half a mile away. So I run to the park and I yeah, run right. back. Or through a swamp, or what? <laughs> yeah, through quicksand. <laughs> Ter- it's terrifying, actually. It's horrible. And then I went up a down escalator. <laughs> so yeah, so so I'm going to get down to what I think is my natural level, and then I'll I'll start training. They're on the roids, then, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Seven minutes, and then do the EPO. Because I've never trained for it. It's just whenever I used to time no, it, it, it always it was always about seven minutes. Yeah. So I want to, uh, you know, 
uh, because I'm I'm careering towards a midlife crisis, I think I'm going to start taking it more seriously from here on in. I'm 40 in November. When I uh, turned 40, I remember thinking, you've got to get in shape now, Babs. It's been a couple of years since you've been in good shape. You're 40. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't sort that out now, you, you you never will. You'll be fat and 50. I'm fat and 48 now. Yeah. <laughs> so in two years' time, my prophecy is going to come, will come true. That's all I'm saying to you. You're looking good, though. I think you're ageing quite well. I think I'm ageing very badly, personally. No, I think I look sexy for my age and my weight. Yeah, I, I think I think. I mean, the women online love it, especially the homosexuals go crazy for it. I mean, if I was a homosexual, I would never buy another drink. I don't think. <laughs> Honestly, oh, I think I look like I've been pulled out of a canal after a couple of weeks, especially yeah, in the morning. Too bedraggled. Yeah. That's the look. My it? my other my other problem is that um, I did a lot of cycling last year. Like okay. one, a one, lot of, I think you mean one of your other problems. My only, my only other problem is. <laughs> but, but what, what I'm, what I'm saying is, yeah. When you lose a lot of weight, and you, mm. I was would have been thirty-eight. Yeah. You, it's not like losing weight when you're twenty-eight or when you're eighteen. You no. lose weight in weird places. So I was, yeah. I we, I'll tell you what we were doing. We were replacing John and I were replacing Johnny Vaughan on Radio X. He okay. used to drive time. So I was cycling mm. to work and back, which is about eighteen miles a day. So I was doing that six days a week. Yeah. And what it meant, I looked the same. I just developed an incredibly thin neck. Oh, God. <laughs> so it makes your head look too Cyclist big. neck. I lost weight off my feet oh. at one point. My feet became really bony. Yeah, but the rest of your body is the same. Yeah. It's weird. See, my, my face puts it on last of all. I'm quite lucky. I, keep, I sort of keep a, some semblance of a jawline. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, everything else. is. is it, but, yeah, when I lose it now, I don't think you look good. I don't think people look good skinny when they're younger, when they're older. Nah. No. You know? Nah. You've you, you got to have a bit on you, haven't you? Bit of elasticity in your skin, isn't it? At the moment, I've got, I've got tits, right? But they're firm. They used yeah, to be yeah, pecs. Yeah. I've, I've gone from pecs to tits. Okay. Right? But what I don't want to have is those sort of tits that look like balloons after Christmas. I, I don't want to have those like... <laughs> do you know what I mean? The, the, the skin's already stretched a little bit. I can feel it. Yeah, yeah. So it's important to keep a bit of weight. I don't want saggy tits. I don't mind having boobs. So I can still do a pec dance. But the, but they they remain dancing while I've stopped dancing nowadays. Yeah, they do another couple of beats after I finish. <laughs> that's the that's the duh, duh, duh. difference. Duh, duh. But my ass has stayed nice. And I'm not just saying that for you know for the people who find me attractive. I'm saying I've always had a nice ass. I, and I've even though I'm probably 38 waist these days. Yes. I reckon if I measured my ass, it'd be the same size as it was when I was a 34 waist. I got a nice ass in jeans. I look great. I look good in jeans. Look good in jeans. Good thighs. Good pert buttocks, decent calves, long Achilles. I haven't, I haven't got choky ankles, I've got nice ankles. And I've got, if I'm not blowing my own trumpet, I've probably got the nicest feet of a man my age in the country. I don't think I've ever noticed my ankles. I don't think I've ever paid I, I'm any just attention. Just analysing my Achilles as we talk. Well, my dad's got very short Achilles, so he's got very, very thick calves. Right, okay. Well, we, we had some building work done, and my dad was coming back and forth. And one of the young builders who was a footballer said, Christ, Mike, you said your dad's legs look at the upside down. He's just got, <laughs> <laughs> he's got massively thick calves from, from, the, from the ankle bone up. <laughs> and my sister, if she's listening, I'm sorry, Sarah, but she's, she's inherited those calves. So even though even when she was like eight and a half stone, you know, she had calves like Jeff Capes. Whereas I'd, <laughs> I'd make a fabulous drag act. I've got lovely long Achilles. Yeah. So I've got muscular calves at the top, but, yeah. but with a long Achilles underneath. Oh, I think I'm more like your dad. 
Yeah. I think I've got I think I've got Bob Bubbins' uh, ankles. <laughs> Never yeah. thought I'd say that. Well, no. well, at least I've got his dick. So I'm <laughs> I can say that now because I caught the prick out. I know for a fact he doesn't listen to this. He hasn't been in touch, does he? This is what I was no, wondering this week: was whether he'd, uh, he was yeah. umbrella about, he was umbrella about he can't get his head around podcasting. So I, yeah. and then Stefan very kindly set up a YouTube page. We set up the YouTube page purely for your dad. For him, it might as well be called the Bob Bevins YouTube page for yeah. this, right? I sent him the YouTube link. He listened to the first one, and then he's he's blagging it. You know, when you, like you're, you're talking to a kid in school who hasn't read a book. Yeah, yeah. And he sort of waits till I say something about it, and then he'll chip in something that we didn't talk about. But rumbled it. So I'll just say this right now, Go Stefan, on. don't edit this. Bit no, out. no, this is staying. My dad's dick looks like a toilet tube, right? <laughs> and now the next time I see him, you won't mention that. And if if I'd heard that, I'd have said, oh, yeah. yeah, mate, what are you doing talking about my dick on on a podcast?" And anyone can listen. Two to weeks it? running. You know, twice, yeah. What are you doing callbacks to my penis for on a podcast? Is he on Facebook? Yeah. Because I put up a picture on well, Twitter. Try to put a dick pic on there if you do. No, I put up a picture <laughs> on Twitter today of just an inside of a toilet roll tube. So I'll stick that up on Facebook. I'll tag it Bob Bubbins and see and if he, see gets, if he gets the reference. Yeah, if you don't, Bob, we know you're not listening. Awkwardly, I know for a fact that some people who play golf with do listen to this podcast. <laughs> Just going to turn oh, up great. with toilet roll tubes if, on their golf clubs. If you could not clubs. mention this to my dad, that would be much appreciated. Right, Mike, you are first up for this week's selections. What, what have we got? <laughs> oh, this is... <laughs> I remember my, my, my dad really, oh, got into, really got into the bulwarker. Did you ever have a bulwarker, Mike? Oh, you did probably... we ever. I chipped a tooth on a bulwarker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We had a bulwarker with wooden handles. That's what the bulwarker was. Polished wooden handle bulwarker. <laughs> oh, but I'm... No, I'm thinking of the chest expander. Sorry, no. We had a bulwarker, the plastic one with the metal tube. Yeah. We also had the old school chest expander with the five springs. Remember yes. those? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was doing well, curls with those. Yeah, right. With, and I had polished wooden handles, <laughs> and the handle came off from under my foot and hit me in the, hit me in the mouth. Yes. I had a bulwarker, yeah. They're crap, aren't they? My dad really got into the bulwark in the in the early eighties, and I and I remember um, I remember there was uh, we were on holiday in 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 France, and um, I remember he, there was a, there was this very very cheeky like kid on the caravan site who was who was constant who was obsessed with my dad. Thought my well, dad was on a caravan site. Yeah, but he was like he was. A, I thought my father was. Abs- you want to go down the villa? <laughs> he thought my father. <laughs> he thought my father was absolutely hilarious and was always hanging and buff and hanging <laughs> Basically, he thought my dad was buff. And I remember my dad was like, "Oh well, uh, I've still got biceps from the old bulwarker days." I've <laughs> been grooming Pierre down the road. Uh... <laughs> I he he. F- he f- he f- <laughs> Sorry, you're a bit of good listening. <laughs> and he he, f- he, f- he flexed his um, muscles, and uh, this little kid touched his bicep. Was like, oh, doos, doos, doos. And my dad was like, what's he saying, Esther? Mum's got like a level French. You're like, oh, he's saying soft, soft. <laughs> 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 He's yeah, calling him soft. Oh, if he grabbed his crotch and shoved it hard, 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 hard it'd, be, <laughs> it'd be far worse. Even worse, wouldn't it? Explain that to the gendarme. <laughs> I was doing a bulwarker, <laughs> and what it was, Pierre came round, right? 
And I, pu- I pulled my groin. I pulled my inner groin, my upper inner groin. <laughs> oh, difficile, difficile. difficile. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> that can't be sure. the right word. Sure. Difficile. <laughs> No, je je ne voudrais enfant. Je voudrais muscles. Charles Atlas. Ne ne voudrais enfant, s'il vous plaît. Désolé. Désolé. Those bulwark of charts, though, if you remember, there was always a bloke with uh, quite long hair on the on the bulwark of charts. Yes. Remember him? Yeah. Like sucking his, do you remember when like sucking your belly and was the big look? Yes. Yes. Not just not, not, not kids, no, one, no one had six packs. No. It was like how small you could get your waist. Yes. So there'd be some bloke with like big packs, decent arms, yeah. sucking his belly in. Like yes. Chuck Norris. Until he had like a 20 like inch waist. Yeah. And that was the look, wasn't it? And it was the thing that men did as a, as a joke when they, were, when they were trying to pretend to be attractive. Like that looks better, sucking yeah, your belly yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So where was I? Uh, oh no, the song. Yeah. The song. Go on, so yes. the clip. Sorry, the clip. I miss these days. I mean, I I love Wogan anyway, and I loved that show. Yes. Um, so just have a little look at this, and then we'll talk about this. This is uh, the England football team. <laughs> It's the sort of thing that you could do, and, and you did do, when there wasn't the money in, in football that there is today. Yeah. Right? And I just loved it. I, there's, there's so much love about this video. <laughs> You've got sort of Wogan's in the wings, looking all admiringly. Tony Adams is doing an Ellis James-esque shoulder press <laughs> around five kilos. <laughs> Thank you. And then someone's hiding behind that old sort of 80s multi-gym on the lap pull-down machine. I assume Peter Beersley. I don't know who it is. There's one of those really old school um, exercise bikes where you sort of tighten up a leather, leather strap to make it harder. Yeah. And then you've got Bobby Robson at the front with Lineker, putting the good looking blokes at the front, obviously. Bobby's got a nice V-neck on. And then there's some fella. I was reminded of when Jarvis Cocker crashed the stage when Michael Jackson was doing the you know the Earth song. Oh, at the Brits. Yeah, Who's yeah. the bloke at the back? There's obviously not a player. Well, I recognise... All of that squad, but I don't recognise him. So I'm assuming he's a kit man or a physio. He's very old. It's a real stock ache in a waterman song. I mean, yeah, 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 very, very, who, who very much so. Those, right? I mean, you're, you're a football fan, Al. Did you ever, and you, and you love music. I, I, I imagine of a Venn diagram of those two things, there's almost no crossover section between people who love music, people who love football, and people who've bought a football song. The, the, pro- the problem with that one... Um, all the way, is that it, it's for Euro 88 and England got absolutely destroyed at Euro 88. They lost all three games. They I'm lost... surprised you're fucking 5k shoulder presses. Yeah, <laughs> but they, but they, <laughs> I think I spotted a hole in the training. But they, they, they lost to the Irish. Uh, Ray yeah. Hampton famously scored yes. the winner 1-0. They, they got stuffed by the Dutch who went on to win it and they got stuffed by the Soviets 3-1. And Lineker was terrible in that tournament. And what he didn't realise was that he had hepatitis. So he was playing with hepatitis. An unusually sluggish Gary Lineker. He kept missing all these chances. But that is a disastrous campaign. Yeah. So then the song... Disastrous song. ...is even worse um, in comparison. I miss miss that. I think part of the... 
I used to love, I used to love the FA Cup in the in the old, you know, when the FA Cup was the FA Cup, when it was like Wembley, one game a year in May, end of the season. It was a huge event, and both teams would usually do a song as well. Yeah. When you had like Ricky Vera and Ozzy Ardiles playing for Spurs. Yeah. When Ozzy came in and like, where are the boys from Tottenham? Right? He's one of the boys, isn't he? Yeah. He's one of the boys straight away. I bet they love Imagine it. Imagine like a modern Premier League team whether from all over the world. Get him a singing a song. There's your team spirit. Boom. Sorted. I bought the theme music, which was released as a cassette single right. for Euro 92. I've got to play it, mate. I've got a Philips moving sound in full working order in my bar. Oh great! I'll have to. Which is a tape deck. It's a twin. It's a twin tape portable stereo from the eighties. My sixteen. You do some high speed dubbing of it, so I can have a copy of it as well. High speed dubbing's on there, mate. Soft eject. Soft eject. High speed dubbing. FM radio. Soft eject. White case with pink dials. uh, Green sliders. Pink dials. Shoulder strap. It weighs. It weighs as much as a small family car. It's a massive thing. (laughs) We used to take it over the uh, Barry Bath swimming in the summer holidays, and I put my erasure tape in there, the Innocents. And uh, <laughs> eight, eight big D batteries, right? <laughs> and on the way, by the, by the time I was walking back, it had fucking gone. Yeah. Like, Andy Bell was like, <laughs> give a little respect. Oh, and I should buy another eight batteries. Like, I, I, I worked part time in Butlins that holidays, right? And it would just keep me in batteries to go back and forth to <laughs> Kids today, like my fuck, like, I'm not like an, like an old daddy, here, but they've got no concept of it. You plug a phone in, there's every song ever, yeah, yeah, all yeah. day, yeah, you know. And I had one tape, and it would last me forty minutes max. But don't you remember, like when you went on holiday, you would work out how many tapes you could take with you. Yes. Yeah. So you'd have your your now compilation or whatever. And so <laughs> yeah, you'd have that. Yeah. You'd have uh, I don't know Michael Jackson's bad. You'd have a, a yeah, whole yeah. row of them, and now Jive Bunny, MC Hammer, Jason Donovan, Kylie Minogue, Rick then, Astley. Let's that's, go that's, on holiday. That's the, that's the car journey to Harrogate. <laughs> Ten years older than you, so mine was all. Mine was uh, the Rocky Four soundtrack played to death. Yes, The Innocence by Erasure played to death. Yeah, uh, I think we've all enjoyed um, Michael Bolton's Steel Bars, haven't we? Um, I, I mean, Guns and Roses, Appetite for Destruction. Yes, oh, played to uh, what, death. Yes. What a gear change! See, that was a great summer. That was every. I used to do a split shift over what was then called Majestic, was the old Butlins. Okay, so eight to eight till twelve, four hours off, then four hours in, four till eight. So were you going home in that four hours? Well, or? no, because we were right by. We were about a fifteen-minute walk away from to the pool. Spend three hours in the pool, then walk back. Oh, and then the rage would last me both trips, there and back. Yeah, yeah. We used to have a barrier tradition called bone dry off top, which meant first day of the holidays, go down there, bone dry, and jump off top board into the deep end. And honest to God, you came out like a cork out of water. It was yeah, yeah. absolutely freezing. I bet you, in the, in, the, in the sort of four or five years I went down there, I probably spent about three minutes in the water total. And we all had bum smackers on. We all had like cut-off jeans at the time as well. Your bum smackers? Yeah, okay. cut off, cut off tight jeans with like the frayed bottoms on them. You know, looking quite cool. Yeah, yeah. I would say that look is very of its time. <laughs> but I would wear the speedos underneath the. I mentioned the sort of electric yellowy speedos I'd had yeah. when I was in North America. I had those on underneath the bum smackers. So after you've been in the pool, then you want to get the all over ten. So yes. speedos go on. Erasure goes on. Fluorescent speedos. You know. Swap a few rugby anecdotes with the lads, <laughs> and then <laughs> go back to work peeling potatoes in Butlins. 
great, great mixed up, great mixed up days. <laughs> Very confusing. The England team go from oh yeah, the England team. Stock Aitken Waterman. You go from Stock Aitken Waterman in '88 to yeah. New Order in 1990. Yeah, yeah. There is a change somewhere in the FA. There's there's a really brilliant story of New Order's record label or New Order played. Um, World Emotion to their American record label. Right. And it's a great song in its own right. It's good tune. But, but the American record label were like, listen, we love the song, but who is this English rapper you've got? He is absolutely rubbish. It's John Barnes. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently, if, it had, if John Barnes, Barnes, if John Barnes hadn't done it, it would have been Peter Beardsley. Can you imagine Peter that Beardsley? That would have been a rap. The, the, Brit, the British Vanilla Ice. You must be slow or fast, but you must get to the lane. <laughs> oh, man. Do we find out, is it Peter Beasley behind that multi-gym? I can't see. I don't think it is. I can't tell. I can't... I don't know multi-gym. My, what is now my bar, when I first built it... Yeah. Um, used to be a full multi-gym in there. When when my old P department were getting rid of the multi-gym from school, proper 80s, yeah. early 80s, big, like exactly like the one on that Wogan show. I said, I'll have it. So I... I, I took that home piece by piece and, re- and rebuilt it, reassembled the whole thing in my bar. There was nowhere to move in my bar. But I used to go in there and have a workout, get my shorts on, get the top off, <laughs> get there and have a workout proper. Get your bum smackers back on. Get the bum smackers <laughs> on, get a razor on and go for it big time. <laughs> Give a little respect. <laughs> oh, my father, why don't you talk to me now? Oh, my mother. Do you still cry yourself to sleep? Are you still proud of your little boy? Don't be afraid. You don't have to hide away. No, don't be afraid. Love will mend your broken wings. Don't be afraid. Learn to be brave. Just proper. Big sweat going. They were the days. I was the talk of the town. Let's go with the good of Minsky's in town. Which is the gate, the gay bar in the middle of Cardiff? Oh yeah. So I used to go and pick her up from work when I was working on the door in Cardiff when I was in uni. You know, doing a bit of door work to make a few quid. Oh, here we go. It's oh, another quantum yeah. leap story. When you used to work yeah. on the doors, yeah, yeah. Come on, yes. yeah. Oh, yeah, a couple of years on the doors. Yeah, generally. yeah. And then I was yeah, nursing yeah. in the Crimean War. <laughs> me and Mary Seacole, Florence Nightingale. <laughs> Mary Seacole, what a girl. Yeah, yeah. I had it off with her once. <laughs> Uh, I think of a nightingale behind a field cannon. What? What are you on about? Well, I think we've all learned something here today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when we started this, that was my main. I mean, I, I've, I've you got... don't get enough erasure in a lot of sports. No, podcasts. no, I've that's got, true. I've yeah. got to say this is this is technically a sports podcast. I mean, the more <laughs> we talk about sport, the more people get annoyed. Yeah, yeah. Oh. You start fucking it up, going about banging about football all the time. Oh, we're gonna talk about the '62 World Cup in a minute. People will be turning off in droves. <laughs> yeah. No thanks. Forward ten seconds. Forward ten yeah. seconds. Forward ten seconds. Yeah. <laughs> right, my first oh. clip for this week uh, it is Calcio Storico. There's plenty of little videos made about this particular sport. This one is from the guys at Vice. <laughs> So, like I said, there are a few different versions of wow. mini documentaries about <laughs> this, but oh. that one—it's only about ten minutes long. 
but it tells you everything you need to know about it. If you are listening to this podcast and you don't watch the uh, clips, do it. Do it. Do it. Because the violence is jaw-dropping. Go go to the episode description, click on the little link for this one. You won't be able to believe it. Because I don't think we can summarise it in a way that... If, if, if it has to be seen to be believed. I love this more than I love it. I wrote down some notes about the sport Go itself. On. Okay, so, so so if you've never watched this, which a lot of you won't have, right? Mm. Four mm. teams from the city of Florence yeah. play against one another. Semi-finals, then a final every year. It is 27 aside. <laughs> it's a great start point. You're allowed two people who aren't originally from the city of Florence on your team. So you can bring in two ringers, if you like. Paul Sykes and Kimbo Slice. You absolutely line them up, lads, and you come. (laughs) It's played on sand. Mm. It's like a rectangle pitch. The entirety of each end is a goal. Mm. And there's a football. And you're dressed like the Swiss Garbage. You're dressed like the Yes, absolutely. Imagine seeing the Swiss Garbage in an Adidas shoes. That's what they look like. And also, you know, there are these unique little local sports yeah. All over the world. I'm thinking of yeah. Coits in Fostrassel. We're the best bloke at Coits in Fostrassel in uh, West Wales. Regards himself as the world champion because no one else plays Coits in the same way. See Major League Baseball. <laughs> you know, you have, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but you, you have these localised sporting <laughs> traditions. But this one, oh, the fans, it. it's, it's like the Milan Derby. Yeah. Or the Derby Italia when Inter play mm. Juventus. You've got the, the big ends. Yeah. It's like a football match at the San Siro. Off the scale. Well, I can't believe it. You look at it. I mean, I've, I've heard of it before. And I've seen clips before. Yeah. And I almost wish, Steph, this, this was, you, you could find a doc for this and, and do a lot There's one because, being made at the moment. You know, I will go and see this. And the next, before I turn 50, I'm going to go, to, I'm going to go and watch this live, right? Whatever happens, that, this gonna, that will happen. Let's right? do it. Because the fact that it's been going for 500-odd years, yeah. and it hasn't changed, yes. right? And you think of all the health and safety stuff these days, yeah. and, and, and Italy's not some backwater. They're part of the, of the EU, right? They've got the same sort of rules we got. To play a game like that... I mean, the violence, but, uh, the violence doesn't like, seem to have a purpose. At, no, but it's not even on the ball. There's yeah, people yeah. getting like, punched in the jaw yeah. that are 15 yards away from play. Yes. And the fact that it's, it's proper amateur... Mm. Yeah, you know that, and they, and they go. It's only a short clip, but there's blokes that have got jobs. The one kid's like 19 years of age. Yeah, you know that pageantry though. I love that. I, I love tradition. I love people doing it for the love of it. Yeah, and you watch it. They got the 500 year old uniforms on. They're marching to the town with the drums. They got the four different teams. It must mean everything to be in one of those teams. I'm sure people's dads and granddads and great granddads all played as well, right? The tradition of that is is crazy. When they're talking about how much it means to the community in the city itself because the teams are divided by the four quarters named after four yeah. chapels or churches yeah in Florence itself and how well Florence is a beautiful city we went yeah. on a honeymoon it's just such a I mean it, it, I love Italy I, lo- I love Italy I love the attitude to life I love their attitude to authority right but Florence is a, is a gorgeous looking place all those terracotta roofs and the beautiful old buildings and everything and to have that going on in the middle of there, when they're wearing those clothes in the middle of that city playing that sport. Although I did, it did make me think, because it's so violent, because that, that little 10-minute video um, concentrates on a, a 19-year-old amateur boxer who's yeah. been in training, and they choose squads of 50, but 27 get to play. Yeah. So he's desperate to make the 27, and then they talk to one bloke, and his, his wife won't watch because it's too violent. It reminded me of... Um, 
I'll have a check here. It, but it reminded me of... <laughs> do you remember uh, when Frank Bruno lost to uh, Witherspoon? Yes. In about 1985, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and the camera go pans on his on his mother, and his mother's crying. Yeah. It reminded me, me a bit of that, although it did remind me, it made me think. I, I think mums in sport generally tend to, obviously, it's, it's your little boy player, isn't it? But I love that. Do you know what I've always loved, and it's, it speaks to, I think it's human nature. Like, when I was a kid, I loved watching rollerball. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. That was my, oh, God. And, and, it, and you read about them making a rollerball. Like, James Caan was a, 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 was a rodeo rider. Yeah. He'd been a stuntman. He's a tough bloke. Got a bit of boxing. And they were saying they built that track to make rollerball. They shot it in, in Germany to save money. Okay. And they made that hardwood track, and they combined the sport. was like part roller derby, part boxing, yeah. part, you know. And the whole point of it was to show that this is too brutal and this is like proper like bread and circuses and you know this is barbaric and this is going to keep this dystopian future population in check and make them stop worrying about the, the actual real problems in the world right and they're saying the whole point of the, it started out was to be to show that this game was a, was a horrible thing and they said by literally the second day of shooting Khan the cast and all the and all the the stuntmen that were there would play for real like well, soon they could, they couldn't wait to play. Just they said, in between a great takes, game. you can't tell me if if rollerball was on TV now, oh, people 100%. would watch it. Yeah, if there was motorbikes and steel gloves and spikes and metal balls. If this calcio thing was on TV, oh, it did, wait a it did what, make me. What's Channel Four doing? It did make me think, though. Imagine if you were a, a bloke in Florence. You didn't like fighting. weren't particularly sporty. It's a bit wordy. <laughs> that, that, that weekend would be an absolute nightmare, wouldn't it? You got a calcio on Saturday. Do you know what? Oh, is that is that is that this weekend? Oh, I can't play actually on Saturday. I'm I'm teaching my. Do you know what it is? I'm teaching my grandmother how to set the video on Saturday, and I promised. That's the thing. See, sorry. Because she she can press play and stop, but she can't actually record stuff off the telly. So I, I promised. Is video plus. I, she, the telly's not good enough for video plus. That's the problem. So. <laughs> I, I can't play the ultra-violent 500-year-old traditional game on Saturday because of... Please, please God, it's in state schools in, in Florida. <laughs> please excuse Giuseppe from uh, Calcio today. As he's recovering from the double jaw break in last week's lesson. <laughs> Amazing. Well, they'd have to learn. You can't just turn up for Calcio, you know... Yeah, they've got to learn somewhere. Yeah, there must be age-grade calcio going on out there, oh, under sevens. Touch calcio. Touch calcio. <laughs> Touch calcio. They, they do walking calcio for the over-80s as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See the Barclays Bank advert in Italy? There's some bloke with one arm and a broken nose talking about walking calcio. Do you remember that thing a few years ago? They did the, the Barclays, like it was called... Like, Digital Eagles. Eagles Digital Eagles. Yeah, and the one, I shit you not, the one that was in Wales... Yeah, Neath. ...was teaching some fucking coal mine how to send an email. <laughs> yeah. But about six years ago. Yeah. There's been no coal mine since 1986. Yeah. What's an email about his choir practice, is it? Or about dickheads? Yeah, he was a coal mine in Neath. That was oh. it. Oh, you never, never, never use one before. W-W-W dot. Oh, fuck off. As a legacy of World War Two, especially amongst people of our... Where's this going now? But, but especially... Where's this going? Alice, please, man. Come on. But this is not the week. Do not mention the, the Burma Railway. But they'll often say about the Italians, oh, yeah, like, uh, you know, uh, 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 Italian tanks, we six, 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 
six I gears. Everyone was from Carmarthen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Six gears, five in reverse with an Italian tank. Oh, yeah. Six bloody gears. Yeah, what's the, uh, yeah. what's the Italian national flag? Yeah, yeah. It's a white cross and a white background, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. There's a thing with it, Italy. Yeah. Bloody cowards. There's nothing better than some British person who's never seen anything like conflict. Talking about other, other nations' cowardice. Yeah. You know, so. Well, you know for a fact, if they were kicked off, he'd be chained to his bed, the funny. It's Italian, Italian bloody tanks, if you ask, <laughs> if you ask me. Yeah, yeah. What, yeah. what are you talking about? Oh, man. I've got to go over there for that. That's what I'm saying. I've got to. I think we should. got to. But can you I mean, there's only so... It's not a very big pitch. What will happen, inevitably, is that we'll go over there on a big jolly, have a great laugh, and then someone will die playing, and then the little mini-documentary we've been commissioned to make won't get made, and we'll just come back with our tails between our legs. Or someone will die playing, and you will get subbed in, Al. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, TV. Hey, telly. (laughs) Hey, Mike, you know what they said about tanks, Italian tanks in the war? That's pretty true, huh? <laughs> They're just going to back off me, right? Yeah, yeah. The cowards, yeah. Shh, shh, hang on, ref. Sub coming on. Sub ref. In he comes. In he comes. S4C five, cameras all round us. Five, five reverse gears, yeah, Mike. <laughs> what did it go, Al? What it is? I was meant. Poblock. I was meant to be teaching Monkey how to use Video Plus, but ah. Right, Al. We're going to carry on the violence. What is your, what is your clip? As my clip for this, my first clip for this week, as a legacy of the 18 months between 1988 and 1989 when I was absolutely obsessed with Welsh rugby. The rugby months, we call those. (laughs) Ellis James, the rugby months. One one of my sporting heroes to this day remains Robert Jones, who was one of my favourite athletes or sports people in any sport ever. And the thing with Robert Jones, he was definitely the best scrum half. Of course he was. He won 54 caps of Wales. But the problem with Robert... Was that he was quite small, and not according to Bubs last week. Well, but the, 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 the two the two of you will remember this probably better than I do. There was always a slight discussion on whether Wales should replace him with a bigger, more physically robust scrum half. So that the three in particular I remember around this time were Di Bishop, yeah, um, Chris Bridges who played for Neath, and Jonathan Griffiths who played for Llanelli. But uh, even though he was uh, the smallest of that batch of Welsh scrum halves, he was pretty tough, as uh, this clip attests. Got a punch up there between halfback Robert Jones and Nick Farr Jones. They're all joining in now. It's punches galore. It's an all-in brawl. The match erupting, and that was totally unnecessary. So there we go. That's the uh, Lions versus Australia on the 1989 tour. I think it's the second. Uh, test, yeah. but Robert Jones steps on Nick Far Jones's opposing numbers foot. He stamps on him to provoke mm. him, and then suddenly they're scrapping. And the Lions were one nil down yeah. in that Test series. They went on to win the series two one. It's the only time the Lions have ever won a series from uh, one nil down. Yeah, mm-hmm. and Nick Far Jones, I, I watched an interview with him this this afternoon, and he was saying that's the that's his great regret because obviously Australia didn't win the eighty seven World Cup, but he knew they were going to get a second chance. At yeah. the World Cup, and they went on to win it in 1991. So he's done it all in rugby, yeah. but they lost that Test series to the Lions. And he says, "What we didn't do was we we didn't go toe to toe with the Lions, and we didn't yeah. face up to the Lions. Yeah. And after we'd beaten them in the first Test, Ian McGeek said, "Right, 
what you need to do. He changed the team around, made the yeah. team more physical, but also he said you just need to provoke them and get under their skin. And that is exactly what the Lions did. And it wound the, the Australians up. But it's a very, very violent match if you watch it. And Dad was waking me up at five in the morning to watch those tests. Yeah. I never asked him to. <laughs> It's too early. Yeah, he insisted. insisted. <laughs> Do you mean you like really, football? Get out really, of there. Really affected my schoolwork. You know, Ellis looks tidy. Ellis looks grey. I've been up since half past four. We were playing White Cat last night. I listened to a regional two <laughs> And And I loved Robert Jones. Yeah. And one of the things about Robert Jones I like the most is that I've always got a huge soft spot for players, particularly in contact sports who have to overcome physical disadvantages, usually if they're you know, slightly smaller. So Robert's about five foot eight. So yeah. by even by those days, those standards, he was he you know, he was on the small side. But he was he was tough. I mean he was yeah. he was he was tough as well as uh, a, a great passer of the ball and a great box kicker. And I remember watching a documentary or a long interview with him on the BBC. I can't remember what this relates to, I think it might be the 88 Welsh tour of New Zealand when he was replaced by Chris Bridges because the pack was weak in comparison. And he said, when when the selectors told me that I hadn't been chosen, I went back to my room and I cried because I can practice my passing, I can practice my box kicking, but the one thing I can't change is the thing I'm being penalised for. Yes, bollocks. And I was such a huge Robert Jones fan. It used to really, really upset me because... We weren't half the team when he wasn't playing, especially in well, the it, days when that partnership with Jonathan Davis. I got asked to do a gig a few years ago down in um, at the Liberty Stadium in Swansea. So the girl booking the gig sort of phoned me up and said, uh, I said, what is it? This is like a Swansea Association rugby dinner. Um, and they want a bit of, just do a couple of your rugby stories afterwards. You know, they, I said, yeah, that'd be no problem. So book me in for it. Went down there on the top table, you're doing these things. And... Uh, and like most corporate gigs, it was really good fun. Like, so we get there, and they're, they're, all, they're all a rugby crowd, and I get a chat with this bloke, and he said, hey, Mike, nice to meet you. I said, hey, you too. I said, what's, what's the plan? He said, well, we'll have the dinner, and we'll do, do the presentations, and then uh, you come sit with us on the top table and have dinner with us. He said, then uh, Rob's going to say a few words, and then you're, you're after Rob. I said, I said, Rob who? Rob Jones. I said, well, what's he going to do? You know, just a couple of, couple of rugby stories, and that, and then, and then, you, and then you go on. I was like, for fuck's sake. Right, so I sit down next to Rob Jones, who I bloody idolised, right? And he was so nice. Yeah, yeah. And funny and just uh, self-deprecating and, you know, just really good company. We get on there. I thought, the only saving grace is he's probably going to be shit at telling stories. Right? <laughs> I, I, I had all my eggs in that particular basket. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. He gets on there and absolutely slays them with some brilliant stories about the British Lions. They're just funny, interesting and everything, right? For about 30 minutes. Then i got to go on and do some story about Barry Seconds, <laughs> what he's been talking about. I said, yeah, thanks for that, Rob. Robert also has been blessed with one of the most gorgeous speaking voices. Yes. Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> he's I can got listen to him all day long. Yes, the most fantastic accent in Welsh and English because he's first language Welsh speakers from the That's Swansea right, Valley yeah. yeah so fun fact uh the Swansea Valley is my fourth favorite Welsh accent and Welsh language dialect after Go on. number one Carmarthenshire rural number two Carmarthenshire urban uh don't, don't just don't just say them you just say thanks for coming Mike hope you enjoy the evening 
What what now in in, in Carmarthenshire rural? Carmarthenshire rural. on a week in That's that's my favourite. That's Carmarthenshire rural. That's Carmarthenshire rural. Carmarthenshire urban, please. Oh, the and the word here, Mike. To where's the beat? That's Carmarthenshire. There's a difference there. Urban. There is a difference. That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, give me Swansea Valley. Well, he um, uh, he right. he longates his vowels. Oh, do you think he's involved, Mike? Not he's the boy. He's the one who weeks in on Slightly, slightly longated because I know for a fact that, that we've had a dis- discussion before. Yeah. The Richard Burton's from that neck of the woods. Yeah, yeah. His, his. So if you, if you could do that as in not not as Richard Burton, no. but just an English speaking person and, from until the about until about eight in the morning, I can do a Burton. Hmm. When, I'm a, when, I'm, a, when I'm a bit croaky, when I'm just walking up, mm. my uh, father was a coal miner, sort of regarded back in Pontryvain as the aristocrats of the working class. Oh, yes, <laughs> I'll have that all day long, Alice. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Tre- tremendously short man, powerful across the shoulders. <laughs> and, uh, there's a bridge that uh, runs from one side of the valley to the other, and uh, Dick Bach, as my father was uh, known around the village he'd been drinking very heavily 10, 12, 14, 16 pints and <laughs> had fallen and uh, been impaled and I remember going to uh, visit him in the hospital and I walked in the nurse, English speaking nurse said um, he's, he's speaking Welsh, uh, Richard and I went and he said Dick uh, Dick he called me uh, rather Richard Dick, it is in it is in I said yes, Vissima Vissima wine. I've had an accident he said <laughs> I won't expect all of Milkwood. This is brilliant. <laughs> uh, Sorry, well, I look a bit of a thing for Richard Burton. Pod. What a sports <laughs> podcast. Well, what a sports podcast. <laughs> right, time for documentary choice. And this week it's my choice. And this one is very recent. So I was editing the podcast last Monday night and my computer completely crashed halfway through and I had to reboot everything, start again. And this documentary just dropped onto the telly at the time and this probably relieved my stress a million percent. Uh, It is Bee Water. It is the latest one from ESPN's 30 for 30 series. And it's about the life and times of Bruce Lee. I remember what it was like to be loved by him. His philosophy was one of self-actualization. He felt that everybody in the world might have a little bit to contribute to the canon of martial arts. Be formless, shapeless, like water. Water can flow, or it can crash. Be water, my friend. There is nothing not to love about this. Um, there'll be some people who go, but that's about an actor, not about a sports person. But you, you're wrong because I don't think anyone has done more for martial arts mm. ever. His, yeah, I'm going to go with ever. Um, there well, who, be, el- who else would there be? I thought it was a crock of shit, genuinely. Go, go, go on. on. I'm listening. Okay, there would... No, no, come there, on. I want, I want to listen to this. There would, be no, want... there would be no mixed martial arts. <laughs> there would be no Jay Jones. Uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar would never have come up with the skyhook shots. 
there is an awful lot of sport that owes a lot to Bruce Lee. Hit me with it, Bubs. You mentioned the word hagiography later. Yes. I watched this, yeah. right? And I, I wasn't a huge Bruce Lee fan to start with, right? But I thought, I'm not a huge fan of a lot of sports. And I watch yeah. documentaries. I'm not a huge fan of cycling. I'm not a huge fan of long-distance running. Yeah. And I watch them, I think, oh, fair play. I watched this. And I've, we've never disagreed about it. This and is I, good. Hugh and Al obviously love it, right? Yeah. I watched that, and it was almost all I could do to finish watching it. And I wasn't in a great mood when I started watching it, right? <laughs> which, did, which didn't help. But I just thought... I'm surprised he didn't say that he fucking invented penicillin and the internal combustion engine. It was like, my God. He, he, right. I like my docks to be warts and all, right? Yes. And I understand they're about a person. So, But I want to see the frailties and I want to see where I can connect with somebody, right? Yeah. I They didn't mention things like, and you haven't got to scrape very deep to find out about him, you know, putting a knife on his PE teacher. Yeah. Or shagging everything that moved behind his wife's back. Yeah. Right? And all these other things that he did in his life. None of that's in there. That gets completely glossed over, right? They just that he's this this messianic figure who saves Eastern culture by going to fucking Hong Kong and making some shit films with sound effects on him, right? It's fucking rubbish. It's like Right, you punch someone in the balls, it doesn't do that, right? It just hurts. And you go, oh, right? Ow. Imagine if it's films. I had a lot of people going, ow. Bruce, fuck off. Bruce's sake. What's wrong with you? you? What's wrong with you? I think things like Austin Powers, right? I watched Conor Masolis the other day, and there's been a sea change in Bond films, right? They're still unbelievable, but there's been a sea change (laughs) since Austin Powers. Yes. Because obviously... I watched those and thought, why are there fucking 12 blokes in a circle all attacking you with one hand, one at a time, right? You twat. <laughs> right? If, when does that ever happen? It never happened, right? So he's in really unbelievable films for a kickoff. Yes. His acting is fucking dire, <laughs> right? He's got two modes, intense and asleep, and that's it, right? There's no humour in it. There's no self-deprecation. There's none of that shit, right? Because he's a shit actor and he's a terrible philosopher. Some of that philosophy he comes out with is like proper, like infant school philosophy. Right? <laughs> the bit about the when moon. When you point your finger at the moon. Yeah. yeah. Don't, don't look at the finger. On the finger. Don't look at the finger. Fuck off, mate. What does that even mean? I was watching that bit and I was thinking, oh, I'm the thick one. <laughs> no, mate. Because I've never, I've never just I... poorly thought through philosophy. <laughs> Someone who's read a book about philosophy, I can do that. Can you? Yeah. Check this. Uh, when you point your finger at the moon, don't look at the finger. Because he's so. Eulogised. No one said. No one has the balls to say his emperor's new clothes. No one says to him, "What the fuck are you talking about?" I'm too easily led. I just assumed I didn't get it. God, that's deep. I never thought about that. And they think, don't think, just be. It's like, like a proto Yoda, right? You want to be like water in a cup? What? A, oh, what, that's what, a shit beak, as well. A beaker. Well, yeah. Any cup, like a sippy yeah. cup, like a kid's Mate, that's cup. Just, that's not philosophy. You're describing fluid dynamics. All right, they're not the same thing. So anyway, um, it's a bad day, yeah. I I was thinking someone's going to say something at a minute. There's going to be at least a a, a voice of dissent amongst all these, right? Some of the shit I wrote. Come on, come on, come on, on, hit us. If only Mike's wife hadn't left him yesterday. I know this would all have been fine. Check this now, ready? So and then he'd be loving Jackie Chan if she hadn't gone. You talked about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, right? Yes. Jackie, hey, mate. Jackie Chan was in fucking Cannonball Run, so he he gets a pass. So. That game of death with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar yes. 
It's one of the lamest films I've ever seen in my life, right? In fairness, he died before it got finished. Well, it makes Beverly Hills Ninja look like it's won an Oscar, right? <laughs> and there's Kareem Abdul-Bajabat, who's a fantastic basketball player, Absolutely. Right? I love Elvis, right? No news there. I love Elvis. Right, OK. Elvis got a second down black belt in karate. Yes. Do you know why? Because he's fucking Elvis, right? <laughs> the same reason they think Kareem Abdul-Jabbar can do kung fu. Well, he's patently crap at it, right? <laughs> like a six foot seven, what are you? Seven, seven foot, foot one, eight. dude. This big gangly basketball player doing shit old kicks and punches, right? <laughs> I thought, what am I watching here? Is this a joke? Is Jeremy Beale going to jump on him? <laughs> fucking, this is a real film, is it? <laughs> Jeremy, Jeremy Beale. He's been dead for 20 years. And there's that bit about him being in, in you know, Kung Fu was written for him then because of the studios. I wanted to hear about that. That was interesting. Yeah. I want to hear about why Asian people couldn't get rolled. Yeah. They mentioned briefly about he tried some electric stimulant machine and it made his hair go curly, right? (laughs) Tell me more about that. I want to hear about that, right? So the bit about Kung Fu. The bit about Kung Fu where David Carradine takes the part that should be for Bruce Lee. Yes. Because Bruce Lee has either written it or has inspired it. everyone in the world knows that story, right? And everyone in the world knows it was David Carradine, right? Yeah. The editing on that is rude. Because there's a Bruce Lee doc. The one guy goes, and some other guy, um, oh, I can't remember yeah. his name now. I thought, fuck off, I can't remember his name. It's David Carradine. And the second one comes on and goes, and some guy, um, oh, what was his name now? Uh, you know, the uh, not the Steve, Chinese fella. Steve McQueen. Steve. Gary. Steve, Steve Davis. Yeah, he's always throwing a baseball at a wall and catching yeah. it in the mitt. <laughs> that stuff's cool. Being mates with Steve McQueen's cool. I think Steve McQueen as a pallbearer is cool, right? Steve McQueen in- introduced him to smoking weed. And he introduced Steve McQueen to Kung Fu. Tell me about that stuff. But you can't, because you've got to mention him smoking weed then. And that was some old fucking dentist halo. So his ex-wife's on. They're going... At one point, she actually says, Oh, this magnificent Chinese man just married to this plain Caucasian girl. I thought, fucking hell, mate. You've had... You've, You've done wonders for your wife's confidence. <laughs> Forty years later, she still still chuffed herself other, as plain. St- still chuffed you deigned yourself to bloody get married to her with your bone and everything else. Uh, I will I will split the difference between brilliant. Mike and Go you. On. I think it's a brilliant story, badly told. Actually, because the bloke who made it, that director, what's his name? He, he knows who he is. The point being. <laughs> He's not one of our Twitter followers. He obviously loves him, right? Yes. He loves him. Yeah. I, I couldn't I couldn't make a documentary about Elvis in any sort of objective way, right? Yeah, yeah. It'd be completely subjective because I love him. Yeah. And I know that he met Priscilla when she was a teenager, right? Yeah. And I know that all these things went on. I know that he was he was heavily into sort of uh, drug use in the in the seventies. I would I would gloss over that stuff. Yeah. Because I love Elvis. But I would make it a worse documentary. What what sort of drugs was Elvis taking? No drugs. We're talking about Elvis for. Uh, we never took drugs. We're going to go for all prescription. Thank you very much. <laughs> the one bit I thought you were going to. We'll have a bit of honesty here now, right? But it was like a wanky job interview, right? Someone says, "Of course, he had weaknesses. Um, for instance, he was a very challenging person, full of fire and intensity." Fuck off. That's like saying your weakness. What's your biggest you know, weakness? Say, you know, yeah. oh, I'm too punctual. If anything, yeah. If anything, a, I work too. I work too hard and too I, long. I'm, I do what it is. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a perfectionist, you see. So I'll I'm probably complete a finisher. That's I, the only problem. <laughs> Actually, I know it's I'll, a weakness, I'll, but I'll work for nothing. I'll, I'll put other long pe- hours. I'll, uh, I'll put other people in the office off because I work too hard. Because I'm too good. <laughs> I'm too good at kung fu. Yeah, if anything, I'm just too hard working. I know it's a terrible weakness. <laughs> And, then there's, and there's a bit at the end. Here he goes. I wrote this down as well. I never do this for documentaries. <laughs> I'm just talking. 
<laughs> proper angry. You imagine sitting there watching all these of this. It's all in capitals. That's a scary thing. Green pen, <laughs> capital letters. Uh, I just, I mean, the pen ran out. Just carved the last three lines in. <laughs> I wanted to hear about the struggle, and there must have been a lot of it growing yeah. up. Yeah. But you get to a point where, and Elvis, this what this killed Elvis, literally and figuratively, right? What a shit. When you're surrounded by people. <laughs> Don't get nasty now, because I'm having to go with Bruce Lee. Look at him getting all touchy about Bruce Lee. Right? Is <laughs> No one ever said no to Elvis. You know? Yes. If, he pulled us, if he pulled us a cigar out, four people got a lighter out. Yeah, that's away, true. You know? Yeah. You know, you can't live like that. It, it ruins you. I'd like Bruce to live like that. So then I thought, well, maybe, like you said right at the top, oh. like, maybe it's the fact that he's not a sportsman. I thought, well, maybe, do you know what? I'm, I'm being harsh on him. Maybe he's a fan. Like Jean-Claude Van Damme yeah. was a brilliant martial artist who went yes. into acting, right? Yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger was a fantastic bodybuilder who went into acting. Yeah. Right? I thought, well, maybe I'm missing it. Maybe he was had some stellar career and then he went into acting, right? Yeah. He never had a fight. He never had a professional fight. Never fought one person. No. There's like anecdotal stuff about fighting extras on film set. Yeah. He invented, to fight his, anybody. He invented hmm. his own kind of martial art, though, didn't he? Yeah, well, he don't fight anyone. That one. <laughs> I just put this one phrase on it. Beats up an office. <laughs> Beats up an office. <laughs> this one be like karate chops a set of the, some shells. When he yeah. high, he kicks, a he door, high kicks the, the light. Yeah, oh. yeah, that's quite impressive. I mean, he's physically an impressive specimen. You've got to... I think it's brilliant. I love it. He was in amazing shape. He was a really handsome bloke. The fashions were, I mean, yes. yeah, yeah. I love them, right? He looked such a cool-looking bloke, yes. right? Because a form of martial arts is immensely popular amongst young men nowadays, 19, 20, 21-year-olds. They're all at it. When I was living in Calgary, we had a, a thing, my friend Simon and I used to play a game called Rochambeau, <laughs> which is where you would stand with your legs akimbo. Kick each other in the nuts. You could kick each other in the nuts. So we... We did this outside a nightclub in Calgary once, <laughs> and there must have been 200 people in a circle. What? Culture. Testicular contact? Just boot each, each other, other in, in the balls, nuts. yeah. yeah. Hands behind your head, yeah. legs akimbo, and the other person kicks you in the bollocks. Actual in, in the bollocks? You it's, weren't like. I'll let you into a little secret. What you do, it's, it's easier with cowboy boots on, <laughs> um, which is lucky because I always wore cowboy boots in Calgary, right? That's another story. But, um, well, this was when you were working doing the gold rush, isn't it? In the 1850s. <laughs> you say, yeah, yeah, I was a minor. You were panning for gold. I was a, I was a minor 49er. Um, is you, you angle your toe up, so you actually kick him in the sort what, of in arse. the penis? <laughs> no, like in, in the sort of chin rest between the arsehole and the penis. The perineum. Yeah. The gooch. Sort of chin rest. I call it the chin rest, you call it the gooch, right? That's right, the same okay. thing. So. I once, I was, um, after a night out in Carmarthen Savannah's nightclub, I was once tying my laces outside um, by Chick King. And, uh, and my friend Dens kicked me up the anus. <laughs> to yeah, it fucking hurt like fuck as well. Do you know what? When I was, uh, when I was, living, down, when I was living down in Exeter, I had an anal abscess. Right? Oh, yeah, nightmare. Absolute oh, my nightmare. God. Oh, I didn't want to talk about it. I mean, I was having a shower one day, had a little fiddle down there like I always do. <laughs> Felt a lump and just assumed, A, that I had bum cancer. Yeah? Yes. And that, and that, B, I wasn't going to do anything about it. I'd just rather die without humiliating myself. Right. right. So, I let it go good, for ages. Good grown-up approach. I let it go for ages. <laughs> I, I ended up coming here for a wedding, my friend's wedding. I met my girlfriend at the time. And uh, I was sweating like a lunatic. I, mean, it was, I was in real agony with this by this point, right? And uh, we went back to 
to her place afterwards, and I couldn't, without putting too fine a point in it, I couldn't achieve an erection, right? And she thought it was her. I said, I just, I just say, no, I've got a, I've got medical issues. I couldn't see what it was, so I went back to my dad's house. And I was about 27 at the time, right? I'm going to show my... I said to my mum, she wants some love. I said, can't tell her, mate. can't tell her. <laughs> she, said, she said, come on, I'm your bloody mother. I've, I've seen, you know, I've seen everything. I said, oh, God. I said, I've got a lump by my bell on my... Sports podcast by sports podcast. I thought I was pushing it by bringing a Bruce Lee documentary. <laughs> You're talking about your arsehole. I showed my mum this thing, oh, right? and by this point, it was like it was like honest to god. Now it was the size of a snooker ball. Angry, right, right next to my arsehole. Yes, yeah, and she said, "You," she said, "You bloody idiot!" So you got to go and see a doctor straight away, right? So, yeah, took me to see the doctor, which wasn't my doctor. Oh, <laughs> it's not doctor Z. Doctor Z. He flew over specially. <laughs> he was insistent. Let me just puncture that for you, Mike. You'll be fine. <laughs> Shouldn't you oh. use a scalpel? Oh. No, no, I've got, I've got to know. So I, I'll, what I'll do, I'll put a, this, I'll dip this knitting needle in a kettle and then that will basically sterilise right. it. He rushed me straight to the Heath Hospital, right? They said, they said my God, how long has it been going on for? I said, oh, weeks and weeks. He said, you need an operation today, right? <sighs> so they took me to the Heath, right? So I'm in the Heath Hospital. Right? <laughs> 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 Waiting to get, I'm like nil by mouth for this operation. In this, like, white, in you know, the sort of paper smock. Yeah, there, right? yeah, yeah. So I'm lying in bed there, sweating like a lunatic, right? <laughs> and uh, the consultant comes around, generally now, with, like, six medical students, because the heat's a teaching hospital, isn't it? Now, at the time, I was in my pomp, right? <laughs> I, I see, I would dispute that. So, so, <laughs> so they came, they came around, and part of my brain thought, Play this cool now. There's some good-looking girls here. I'll, I'll play. I'll play this. I'll play this nice and cool. Nice and right? cool, Trig. Nice and so cool. He says, "This is Mr. Bubbins. Mr. Bubbins is 27-year-old male." Blah blah blah. Said, oh, yeah. He said he's got an anal abscess. I thought, oh, shit, I forgot about that, right? So <laughs> he, he says, "Can you lie on your side, please, Mr. Bubbins?" I said, "Oh God, here we go." And if you could just pick your knees up to your chest for us, and if you could just part your bottom sheet. I would never have been so humiliated in all my life, right? So. So anyway, long story short, I've got to get the, the abscess removed. But they don't, if you have an abscess, it was like two and a half inch deep hole they had to cut into, into my arse, right? And they can't stitch it up, it'll just get infected. So it's got to, it's got to granulate, it's got to, it's got to heal from the inside out, right? And the district nurse came round, right, because she's got to pack this hole in my arse, right? Yeah. So this, this woman comes up, she's quite rough anyway. I was like... Uh, I said, is it going to hurt? She went, yeah, this will really hurt. Yeah, it's going to sting a bit. <laughs> said, oh, fuck, okay. So mum's downstairs watching like that. How's your pain threshold in your sphincter, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I defy anybody, honest to God, if you've seen like, is it Marathon Man? Yes. What's the one with Lawrence Olivier? Is it safe? Is it safe? Small, bota- small potatoes, mate, right? So she pulls the gauze out and there's about, I don't know, about six foot of gauze comes out of this hole. It's like six foot of shit magic trick. <laughs> They're fuck six foot of course. Honestly, God, you're there. <laughs> like fucking David Blaine. Kept going, <laughs> Different right? coloured hankies coming out of your ass. And you said worst kid's <laughs> birthday party <laughs> ever. <laughs> yeah. Okay, oh, flowers. It's like a League of Gentlemen sketch. <laughs> Definitely all right at the end. <laughs> but then she. <laughs> mm. She gets like a knitting needle, right? And she's got to poke the new gauze 
into the hole in my in my anus, right? Well, mate, I've never experienced pain like it, right? She said, are you ready? I said, yeah, okay. Well, mum is downstairs, right? Mum is downstairs, like two o'clock in the afternoon. I'm grabbing onto the bed, I'm bent over. She <laughs> wanged this thing at my <laughs> anal abscess. Oh. And I just remember going, fuck! <laughs> it was unbelievable. And she finished, I was in tears. She said, I've got to come back tomorrow. I said, don't come back tomorrow. I, don't want to, I never want to see you again. She said, no, I've got to do it every day. I said, no, I don't want it done. I said, I'll, I'll sign anything. I'm not, you're not doing that to me again. And eventually I reneged, she did it. But I couldn't drive back to Exeter for about three weeks. I couldn't sit down. I had to stay in Barry for three weeks. I finally got to Exeter. And this is no, I'm not casting aspersions on the, uh, the Welsh NHS. They're doing a good job. But, but when I went down there, when I went back to my place in Exeter, and I had to sign on with the district nurse down there to get it dressed, they used to send two round, two old dears, genuinely. And one held my arses apart while the other one put the stuff in. <laughs> it, and in, in Wales, I'd have pulled my own arse cheeks apart. But in England, someone does that for you. Good documentary, though. <laughs> <laughs> right, second round of clips. Ellis, what have you got? When it comes to the greatest footballer of all time... I think nowadays it probably comes down to a Maradona versus Messi debate. And especially for uh, for younger listeners who might not remember uh, Maradona is pomp or might not have seen much footage of him. You think, OK, well, what are you going to choose? Are you going to choose that fantastic goal against England in the 86 World Cup? I don't know, actually. I think this is a better... This is a better illustration of, of just how talented Maradona was. This is him warming up in the 1989 UEFA Cup semi-final against Bayern Munich second leg. <laughs> Napoli are 2-0 up in the UEFA Cup. The UEFA Cup as well, I think it's probably, because of the Europa League, people forget just how competitive and difficult a competition the UEFA Cup was to win. So Napoli went on to win uh, the UEFA Cup. So here they are playing Bayern in the semi-final. Um, they're 2-0 up from the home leg, so they're playing in Germany in Munich. And he's warming up and he's doing what Maradona does. Um, it's Maradona's absolute peak. It's before the drug scandal of Chapman a couple years later. He's enjoying it so much, isn't he? He's loving it. What I love about it, when it really comes to the crunch, when it's the Champions League finals, you know, the, the world title bouts, you know, the, the Ashes, the final test of the Ashes or whatever, there are certain players who just step up to the to the plate yeah. because they know that that is the arena that they belong in. Yeah. Now, Napoli had never won anything before Maradona went there. You know, they weren't one of the historic big clubs in Italian football. He... Their success was completely down to him. And he doesn't care. You know, he doesn't look bothered, he doesn't look stressed. His laces are untied. That's the best bit. Which is my favourite bit. So it's two minutes, 50 seconds of absolute joy. And there's there's a very famous bit of footage of him as a very young kid. He's eight or nine or something. And he starts off doing uh, keepy-uppies or kick-ups with a football and then he does it with an orange, I think, and then it's with a golf ball. And he never really lost that joy, Maradona. Now, there is an absolutely 
superb documentary about his time at Napoli, which I think you've seen, haven't you, Steph? It's amazing, yeah. Yeah, have you seen it, Mike? No, I haven't seen it. So I've got so much to say about Maradona. I think what I'll probably do, even though by the standards of this podcast it's not a particularly niche documentary, it was shown on Channel 4 in the first or second. (laughs) But it it was it was shown (laughs) on Channel 4 during the first drug addict banging on (laughs) the first or second week of lockdown. So I've got, I've got more to say ab- about Maradona in, in particular, which I think I'll probably wait. I love seeing sportsmen or women that love doing yes. it, right? Yeah. And I think with Maradona, take the money out of it, take everything else out of it. And that clip is beautiful. The, the music's going. He looks like there's nowhere he'd rather be in the world than yeah, right yeah. there at that moment in time. You know what I mean? The bit that blew me away... Is when he traps the ball, the ball, the ball in the air. Yeah, he's got it under control in a, in a, in a nanosecond. And I just thought that's relevant to the that's relevant to the game. That ball coming in from anywhere, Maradona can do whatever he wants with it as soon as he wants to do it. The incredible thing about that clip, and also I think this says an awful lot about the influence of Maradona over the game, is that Jurgen Klinsmann was one of the great <coughs> strikers in the history of German football. He's, he's talked about that clip, right? And he said, we're on the other side of the field, warming up like Germans, seriously focused. There's music playing, the song uh, Life is Life. And to the rhythm of the song, Maradona started chungling the ball. So we stopped our warm-up and we couldn't warm up anymore because we had to watch this guy. Now, Klinsmann wasn't playing in that game. <laughs> his, his memory has been completely Brilliant. I think I must do that all the time. That's 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 what I sort of think about Switzerland. Next time I was in Switzerland, but it wasn't actually there. <laughs> and suddenly Hitler decided to take on the Russians and open a Russian front. So it was me, James Garner. What? <laughs> so it was me, uh, Monty, and the rest of the desert rats. Me and Steve McQueen got a motorbike. <laughs> <laughs> You're watching The Great Escape again, what? Oh, it's just been dropping dirt out of our trousers for six years. So, so me and my mate, Bilbo Baggins... Right? Donna Pleasance <laughs> claimed he wasn't blind. Take me with you. <laughs> oh, look at that sixpence on the floor over there. <laughs> I can see perfectly. Can't stand being in tunnels. That was the worst Charles Bronson impression of all time. <laughs> We've had a wonderful Richard Burton and I dropped that oh, shit Charles Bronson. Mike, what have you bought for round number two? This is Jean-Claude Van Damme in blood. <laughs> no. I've gone unashamedly um, Welsh and rugby, right? Okay. And the particular bugbear for us in Wales is New Zealand All Blacks. And they're a fabulous rugby nation. I think I talked about them in the first or second part. I'm so pleased they're back on. Um, fair play to Jacinda there, the old... Prime Minister over there because the fact they're playing in full stadiums now and got rugby back on is fabulous. I'm watching that and loving it. But they quite often mention the fact that we haven't beaten New Zealand since 1953. Yeah. And they talk about the 70s and the, and the pinnacle of Welsh rugby and we still couldn't do it. And that's not true. And this clip is proof of that. This is 1978. The 1978 game when Wales beat New Zealand 12 <laughs> 10. And then in the last couple of minutes, Andy Aden did something that wasn't rugby. And the final result, not of the game, was 13-12. I can remember standing opposite Andy Hayden. And as the ball came in, 
he jumped, what appeared to be a jump anyway, he jumped and landed on the floor. And so did Frank Oliver came out, and so did Bill Bush. Well, I jumped as well because the ball was called for Jeff Wheel. I jumped to cover him. And most probably people thought that I, I had elbowed him or pushed him out. And I thought, in my mind, that Jeff Squire was behind me, had whacked him, and he'd, he'd gone out of the line-out. You can't say, right, Wales won that game. And people say, well, look at the scoreboard, look at the scorebooks, look at the... I said, yeah, but... The, there's, there's laws unwritten and written in sports, right? Yes. New Zealand have always lived on the edge, and they've got away with a lot more shit than any other team because they're the best team in the world, right? I think that's... Unless you're a New Zealand fan, that's fairly apparent to everybody that watches rugby, right? But this wasn't that. This wasn't playing near the edge. This wasn't a sneaky offside. This wasn't being a bit over-abrasive. This was a bloke, flat-out, yeah. premeditated, cheating. Oh. And a cheating of the worst kind. To dive out of a line-out, deliberately, with Alan Martin stood right next to him, to get the penalty, what they should have done is not take that kick, right? Because they, they, they can all blame Andy Aiden for it, right? Yeah. But they still took the kick. They still took the points. Yeah. Right? It's, it was, it was, what he did there was pathetic. Right? Other people say that he, he still gets stick for it now at rugby dinners. Don't invite Andy Aiden to a rugby dinner, because he did that. Certainly not in Wales. He's not getting an invitation over here. It makes me more angry than it should. I'm having a bad day, right? I think, I think we're all getting that vibe. But Wales won that game, and you watch the way that game's played, right? Yeah. Both sides, and it's That's a really good it. game. Oh, That's so a, attacking! I think because so of the incident, I've never really watched the match. Yeah, people yeah, just yeah. watch that couple of minutes. Yeah. They watch that line out, and they, that's all they see. Before that, I mean, Terry Holmes, who I love, right? Mm. He comes in on the back of Gareth Edwards being probably our best player ever, yeah. and just lights it up. Yes. I mean, the, the back line played amazing. The forwards were great. And we deserved to beat New Zealand in that game. And we did beat New Zealand in that game. And, the, and the, when people say to well, look at the scoreboard, I said, yeah, but, and this is a, a philosophical debate we've had before, you're not playing rugby. Andy Hayden at that point is not playing rugby. You, can, you can't turn up in a game for Wales, shoot all the New Zealand team, score a try and win 5-0. Because you're not playing rugby. This game, <laughs> it was November 1978, so it's almost exactly two years before I was born. Hmm. And I reckon Dad has talked about this game once a week since my entire life. I don't blame him. I've I I've actually heard about this clip and imagined it so many times before I actually got around to seeing it. And I don't think I'd seen it, actually, until we discussed which clips we were choosing for this week. Yeah. I'd just heard about it. I felt yeah, like I'd seen it. So I watched it today, and it is so blatant. That's yeah. the extraordinary thing. Well, it's shameless. It's shameless. Now, as someone who does a football podcast and guests on other football podcasts, yes, I have talked about VAR until I am blue in the face of the last 12 months or so. Yes. But VAR is... The reason it is there and exists is because of incidents like this. It is so obvious and it's so blatant and the referees missed it. And it's wrong. And both touch judges. What's frustrating is that, A, again, coming at this from a football perspective, it absolutely blows my mind that there was no World Cup until 1987 in rugby. <laughs> Wales won the Grand Slam in 76 and in 78. So the best team in Europe. So yeah. playing New Zealand, it's effectively a World Cup final in, in a but you know, in a friendly. Yeah. yeah. Like all that. It is against the spirit of all sport what he does. 
because there's yeah. a couple of minutes to go, and he thinks we're going to lose this. Yeah. So what do I do? We need a penalty to to, cheat to win. So I'll mean. just cheat. Yeah. At any point, one of those players, even on the other penalty, could have kicked it back to the halfway line, or they could have done something else with it. But the whole team ran on it, and the coaching staff, and everybody else, right? And that that's one thing. I imagine being those '70s players in Wales. It's a fabulous team. I know we, thankfully, I mean since the Ruddock days, since like 2005. We've got a lot of that glory back again. But for a long time, it was always talked about the 70s. They always beat us over the head with that one stat that we never yeah. beat New Zealand. We never beat New Zealand. We never beat New Zealand. So, but we, I, still, I should say, and I still say it, and people laugh at me, I said we beat them in 78. We beat them in 12-10. Well, and I was only six years old. But for me, that, that is a Welsh win. And nothing that Andy Aiden says, nothing that referee says, or the people writing it down, or the, or the bloke doing the scoreboard, I don't care. In my, in my mind and in my heart, that's a Welsh win, 12-10. So, when you picked this one, I had a different yeah. bunch of clips ready for today. And I kind of wanted to complete the story. As soon as you picked this clip, and you told us about it earlier mm. in the week, there's another story that kind of relates to this story. So, the guy who takes the kick after Hayden jumps out of the line out is a guy called Brian McKechnie. And he is also involved... Uh, in 1981 in this sporting moment as well. It looks to me as if they're going to bow underarm off the last ball. Rod Marsh is saying no, mate, but I'm sure he's going to bow an underarm delivery from the last ball and bow it along the ground and be sure that it has not been hit for six. The umpires have been told, the batsmen have been told, and this is possibly a little bit disappointing. Let's make sure it is an underarm, but I've got the feeling it's a big expectation. Victorian skipper, they're going to bowl an underarm. We haven't believed it. And that's a disappointing finish. Disappointed Brian McKechnie, the crowd boo. Karma is a horrible thing, isn't it? Uh, it's a one-day oh. international between Australia and New Zealand. It's a five-match series. This is match three. It's come down to the last ball. New Zealand need a six to win the match. Greg Chappell, uh, the Australian captain, goes over to his brother, his little brother, Trevor Chappell, who is bowling at the time, mm. and says, right, this last ball, underarm, mate. They can't score a six off an underarm ball. Yep. The yep. batsman is Brian McKechnie. Oh, hello. Oh, dear. It's, honestly, now, I didn't realise until earlier today, I, I, and I knew that McKechnie was the bloke who kicked the kick in... The rugby, because that's that's been on my mind for, about <laughs> for a long, long time. <laughs> I didn't realise that, and I knew I'd heard about this. I'd never seen it. The gods of sport, that's the gods of sport writ large, right? It doesn't matter if, if Bradman goes out for a duck in his last ever innings, yeah. so he doesn't have a, a hundred lifetime average. It doesn't, like the Arsenal game, when, when they scored that impossible goal in the last game of the season. There's things that happen in sport, and for him to be the bloke there, I love that. That's brilliant. I love that. And the fact they're incensed about it. Yes. And the thing is, the difference in that in 78, Australia haven't even broken the laws of the game. That, at the time, for that competition... They've broken, that the, was they've broken the feeling of everything to do with oh, sports. they smashed the spirit, yeah. What I, what, I love about cricket in, what I love about cricket in particular is that this is one of the most notorious yes. incidents 
This is right up there with ball tampering and also on the the Bodyline series. They brought it in New Zealand Parliament, I think. It was mentioned in... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Both, you know, the Australian Prime Minister and the New Zealand Prime Minister talked about this. The New Zealand Prime Minister, Robert Muldoon, describes this as the most disgusting incident I can recall in the history of sport. But well, time to watch a rugby game three years earlier, you <laughs> silly prick. But it was... <laughs> There was it was a diplomatic incident. So what is it? In nineteen eighty one. So I was I wasn't even a year old when this happened. Yeah. If you don't get some fortieth fortieth birthday cards off the listeners, no, you're really <laughs> pushing hard for this. I am. If, you, this. if you've missed it, folks, Alice is forty in November. Yeah. Do the maths. Send him a card. <laughs> but what I love about it is is that they did change the rules based on this. Yeah. Yeah. Did. And it breaks. Or an unquantifiable thing that is the spirit of the game of yeah, cricket. Yeah, it smashes the spirit of the game. Yeah. Of the mainstream sports, cricket, you have to talk about the spirit of the game of cricket. It's just yes. not cricket. Yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's the phrase. And, yeah. I, and I think in, in in other sports, that kind of shithousery, but like, well, okay, well, they needed to do it to yeah. win, so what, what, yeah. what else do you want? What I love is the other player. So Rod Marsh is doing his nut as the wicketkeeper. Just go, you can't do that. What are you doing? But oh, I'm really sorry. And even their other brother, Ian Chappell, who's on commentary, you can kind of hear him in the background going, "No, Greg, you can't do that." I love Richie Bennett. Yeah. right. It's a, I love his voice. I love him. I love his commentary. You know, and he's he's on the old Channel Nine Sports. I love those old graphics as well. But um, he's devastated by it, isn't he? And he, and he can't contain yeah. his, his distaste for it, and his and he thinks it's a real dark day in Australian sport. How good are the, those Wonder uniforms? It was, it was fairly new at the yeah. time, right? The New Zealand kit. Oh, what a look, man. I would wear that out seven days a week. Right, you see when... Is it Jeffrey Howarth who's the um, captain? And he comes on, he's got those... Those, like, taupe-coloured... Yeah. Like, kind flares, basically. It's kind of beige Real with arse, chocolate underarm. Arse-hugging, yeah. good on the thighs. You see, like, a, a cricket uniform now. They're not that well cut. Yeah. And the Aussie, the, the Aussie uniforms are cut similarly as well. They look so stylish. Even the umpires look stylish. Honestly, Steph, when I when I found out you you'd done that, and it was I, all these years I didn't know that those two things were related. Yeah, I googled it straight away. I thought that can't be right. Someone's winding me up. A few a few of the players thought it was illegal because it was illegal in England. English county cricket. Oh, okay. in English county cricket at the time. Really? So the reason a lot of the players come on and remonstrate with the referee is that they're like, this isn't, it's not even allowed. Yeah. this is illegal. But it was so the captain in... was playing in Surrey, I think. Okay. Yeah, he was playing for Surrey. So in the English County Cricket One Day um, competition, which was also sponsored by Benson and Hedges, yeah. you couldn't do it. So then they changed the rules in Australia and in New Zealand. Right, let's go to books, gentlemen. My book uh, this week is Rude Hullet's How to Watch Football. Hmm. I must admit, when it comes to... That's a great title. uh, Yeah. I must admit, when it comes to to sport in general, in particular football, I'm far more interested in what football says about national identity and identity in general. Yeah. And class and masculinity and all that kind of stuff. I'm far more interested in that, in, in the event, and what the event says about people. Okay. Because when you've got half of the planet watching the World Cup final, that to me is is more interesting than shape. I do a football podcast and guests on other football podcasts. 
I, I do have an interest in this stuff, and I think Jonathan Wilson's inverting the pyramid is probably the 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 bible of 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 tactical stuff and the history of tactics. But Ruth Hollis, how to watch football, is very interesting, and I I read this a couple of years ago, and the main thing I learned from it, which had never occurred to me before, is that Hollis is saying, or he says in this, he says I don't actually watch the ball, so he is interested in how teams are lining up during play. Okay. So he will he will he's more interested in the the shape that a team are are in when the ball when the ball is in action rather than following the ball. So it's only fans who follow the ball. Have you ever watched a game, right? And you know like the Zidane movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the, with the Mogwai soundtrack, yeah. I'm going to I've done it a few times when I've been working at games. Sometimes I've decided right, okay, I'm not commentating today. I'm just going to watch this guy play football. I don't know Ramsey. Do you know what? I've done it with Bale a few There's times. There's a book called The Nowhere Men by Michael Calvin, whose book I chose last week, I think. And it's about scouts and scouting. Okay. And it's a fantastic book, which I will probably do next week, actually, for my book choice. Okay. But I read that, and he makes this point, and he says, so if it gives you a very odd perspective of the game. If you're sent to Stoke to watch some 18-year-old player who's playing in the under-23s and you just watch him. You don't really get a grip on the game in general. And I'd just read The Nowhere Men and I was going to watch the Swans play Oxford United in the FA Cup third round at the Kassam Stadium. And I chose a player at random. I chose Frank Tabernou. I don't know if you remember him. It was one of the worst signings in the history of the club. So I chose him at random. I thought, I'm just going to watch Frank Tabernou today. It's only an FA Cup third round game. We ended up yeah. losing, which was immensely humiliating because they were in League One, I think, and we were in the Premier League at the time. But A, to just watch one footballer That's and watch, not watch anything else is quite interesting. But to watch a terrible footballer have a bad game, you're like, wow, <laughs> watching the ball bouncing off his shin, going into touch and all that kind of stuff. Right. For you, Mike. I am going to chuck a book called A Fighter's Heart by Sam Sheridan. I am carrying on my aggressive approach to martial arts, Brazilian mm-hmm. jiu-jitsu. He doesn't quite do capoeira, but he does everything else. Nope. So he, he travels around the world fighting, does a bit of Muay Thai. When was this? What, what's a few fights. Talking? We are talking early 90s, mid-90s. Gracie so, Brothers around that time? Yeah, so it's around okay. that era. He kind of gets fascinated by that era of fighter. Yeah. And he just goes around the world. He's made a bit of money so he can afford to do these sort of things. So he stays in uh, like Buddhist retreats, learns how to do all the fighting, doing different types of uh, martial arts. He doesn't invent his own one like Bruce where he doesn't fight anybody, but he kind of gets in the ring and fights lots of different people. And For real. Yeah, for real. They're going, ha! Yeah. A lot. Hi-ya! <laughs> oh, my bollocks. <laughs> ah, fuck's sake. Fucking hell's bells. Really chase. Does he walk through an office and just kick the lamp, karate chop the bookshelf, beat up the door, punch the window? No one ever says, ow. Ow! No. Fuck oh, off, Bruce. Jesus Christ. What's wrong with you? Finger, you mad cunt. What's wrong with you? Go too far, that sign, Bruce. 
<laughs> Whenever Mutt does fuck's sake in Enter yeah. the Dragon. <laughs> Just fuck's loads of... sake. Oh, you dirty twat. That's wrong with bollocks. Uh, oh, it's, a... it's that bit, you know when you've been kicked in the shin when it hurts oh, so much and then it becomes oh. nice. Oh. <laughs> it becomes nice. <laughs> 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 oh, it hurts so good. Bit of warmth. <laughs> Mike, what have you brought to the bookshelf this week? Uh, one of our lovely listeners <laughs> suggested this book. They said, listen, um, it's, a, it's probably out of print, but um, if you can ever get a hold of this, it's called Rugby Football by Cliff Jones. Yeah. So I went on eBay. As luck would have it, I put it into, this was about last Monday or Tuesday. It arrived on like Thursday. So um, it, it was obviously... <laughs> I love the smell of it. This is this is a book from 1936. It smells, or 39, sorry. Smells amazing. So Clifford Jones uh, played for Landovery College, played for Cambridge University, played for Cardiff, played for the Barblas, played for Wales. There's bits in there when they do the sort of chalkboard um, tactics, attacking tactics. It, it wouldn't look out of place on a whiteboard in the Millennium Stadium now. It's quite, quite impressive. And there's bits on uh, how different positions play. It's quite in-depth. They talk about training. They talk about... Um, um, you know, the two or three training sessions a week, and then maybe a mock game, and then all this. So, so a lot of things you think are, um, are quite modern that have been around for a long, long time. But what stuck in my mind, and I've only had a chance to sort of um, speed read at the moment, but I'll get around to it because there's, there's, there's fascinating bits in it. Now, this is so bear in mind. Now, this is a this Cliff Jones is a product of the public school system, so Landover College, Cambridge University. He's when you think of a, a posh. Welsh rugby type. He would be an archetypal posh Welsh rugby type, right? And we've talked about rugby league in some sort of depth in other episodes, right? Yeah. And there's a bit here where I just saw the little subhead and say rugby league. I thought, here we go. This is going to be a hatchet job on rugby league, right? Yeah. This is what he says. Now, this is this is a man who's public school boy, Cambridge graduate, played for Wales, in a time when the powers that be in rugby thought rugby league was complete anathema, right? So this is Cliff Jones. As a game, leaving out any prejudices which unionists may harbour against it, rugby league football has a great deal to be said in its favour, and in many respects it is far more entertaining to watch than the sometimes rather colourless union game. It would be instructive to see an exchange of players made for a season or so. Transfer, for instance, a wing forward, a scrum half and a centre from a first-class union team to, say, Wigan or Leeds, and at the same time transfer three from league to one of maybe the university teams. Who do you suppose would learn the most? It's likely that everyone would benefit from the change. Wow. Right, so there's him proposing in like 1930, before 39, yeah. came out of 39, that, that union and league should swap players and they should learn from each other and, and there should be some sort of common ground there, you know? That's brilliant. Um, yeah, it, that blew my mind a little bit. But I mean, that's a fascinating book there. So like I said, I've only skimmed it. I'm going to keep reading it. You can get hold of a copy. It'll, it'll it'll be it'll be used, obviously. But it's called Rugby Football by Clifford Jones. Right. If you want to see any of the clips from this week's show, if you head to YouTube, go to YouTube.com/slash The Socially Distant Sports Bar. You will find all of the clips on our playlist for episode twelve. There. Uh, guesses that you guys have submitted for the secret guitarist. Matthew says it's James Dean Bradfield without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, Tom Whittikaka says it is John Cale. Uh, Evil Admitst says it is Jamie Roberts. And Mozza1996 says I have a submission for the mystery guitarist. It is entirely a red herring. There is no guitar. 
The noise is in fact the sound of Rob Brydon doing an impression of the guitar. <laughs> 